I'd like for you to open your Bibles just very briefly to Hebrews chapter 11. I just want to share a brief message tonight. Brief meaning, you know, just a brief message. <laughs> I just want to title it this, Lord, I want to believe. I want to believe. Now, Hebrews 11, 6 says that without faith, it's impossible for us to please God. And there's not a soul in this room that given the choice of pleasing God or not pleasing God, every one of us would say, well, I want to please God. I mean, that would be the right answer to give if you were given that question. Do you want to please God? Well, you would say yes. Well, the Bible clearly spells out that if you want to please God, there's only one way specifically to do that. And that's by faith. And there's a whole lot that goes with this. And we know that. But in all the years I've ministered, since the very earliest 70s, maybe 1970, when I first started doing this, the one subject I have spoken about the most is faith. The one I come back to the most is faith. The one that's a part of most every message is faith. It's one of those outstanding subjects, I think. Not many people preach on it anymore, but you can't read very far in the New Testament like our text. You can't read much without realizing how much importance there is on this subject. Without faith, you can't please God. You would need a whole lot more than that to know that you need to get a hold of whatever the Bible means when it talks about faith. The Bible says we walk by faith, we live by faith, and so on and so forth. And there's probably been in my lifetime too more questions asked me or more people write in and ask questions or come up and talk to you, more questions about faith than any other subject. There's probably been more confusion about faith. There's probably been more disappointments about the message of faith. Why didn't it work for me? Well, I tried it. I did what you said. I prayed this and I read and I studied and I claimed and I waited and it didn't happen. The money never came in or the problem got so big that I just couldn't handle it anymore. And yet you say, and then this one gives a testimony about how easy it went for them and how the Lord blessed them. I don't get it. Why do some people succeed and some people don't? And why does it work for some and not work for others? And there is, in that sense, a lot of confusion, a lot of disappointments, and sometimes a lot of just, I don't like that message much anymore because I never see it working. It doesn't work for very many people. If faith was all you said was, then why have there been so many bad things happen to us? I mean, there have been deaths and there have been failures and been weaknesses and operations and sickness, and I mean, it's not supposed to be like that. And I'll tell you this, it's not supposed to be like that. But it's never God's fault. God wouldn't make a promise and then ignore you when you stand on his word and claim it and say, no, I'm not going to do it. it. Doesn't work like that. And so therefore, there's this wrestling match that we have. And the devil hates you to get faith. He doesn't want you to have faith. The Bible describes faith as the only subject in the Bible that you can defeat the devil with. For example, Ephesians 6. Our warfare is not against flesh and blood people, but against unseen powers in the higher places and around us, the spirit that works in this world. That's who we fight. That spirit is a devil. 
And we're told in other places, in James, for example, that we are to resist the devil steadfast in the faith. Peter said that, 1 Peter 5, 9 said, your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion. He tells us, whom resist steadfast in the faith? And James says, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. So the devil knows, he knows that if this subject becomes clear to you and settles in your heart, you will overcome him because the victory that overcomes the world is even your faith. Not somebody else's, not some great one you're trying to aspire to be like, but the faith you have. I don't care what stage of growth anybody in this room is in. I don't care how deep or how new or whatever or how difficult a life you're living. I don't care what it is. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. He sets the standard. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able. But for you, he will provide a way of escape. Now, he'll do that for you. You say, well, I'm not very strong. Then your pressure against you won't be very strong either because God will never allow you to be overwhelmed because he's in charge. But he will not fight your battle for you either. My people, the Bible said, are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Well, it's not God's will. He doesn't will you to be destroyed. He simply shows you a way to succeed and to overcome, and then he gives you the chance to walk it out to make application of his word. And for some of us, he seemed like he super encourages us because this message is going to work. This word is going to live and thrive and flourish in somebody's heart. Somebody's going to face every day with a renewed confidence that I can do all things through Christ. I am more than a conqueror through Christ. Christ strengthens me. He is in me. His life lives in me. He is my life. And somebody's going to arm themselves with that kind of truth that the devil doesn't want you to have. Because he knows when he pokes his head into your life, and he does all the time, being armed with the truth, with the word, it's faith that shows you how to apply the truth. And he knows that when you stick that word out there and you stand on it, he has to let go of you. Because again, the Bible says, if you resist the devil, the devil will flee from you. So it's up to you because that's what the Bible says. So the disciples, therefore, come to the Lord and said, Lord, increase our faith. Jesus talked about it all the time. Four times he said, oh, you have little faith. The fig tree. He said, have faith in God when they saw the fig tree dying. The blind man said, oh, Lord, we want to receive our sight. He said, be it unto you according to your faith. It's faith, faith, faith. I'm a centurion. My servant lieth at home sick of the palsy. I'll come and heal him, Jesus said. The centurion said, you don't have to come. I'm not even worthy for somebody like you to come in my house. But if you just say a word, if you, Jesus, if you'll speak a word, my servant will be healed. Because when you talk, the kingdom of darkness has to listen. And when you speak, they have to do whatever you said. So you say, my servant's healed and my servant will be healed. Now that's taking God at his word and knowing that if God says it, God will do it. The battle is over. 
But you don't find a lot of people there. We're still grappling and wrestling with things that we should be efficient and joyful in. But they said to him, Lord, increase our faith. Oh, you little faith. We don't want him to say, oh, you little faith to us. We want him to bless us. We want his word to live in us in such a way that we have the assurance every day of our life, the assurance that God who spoke the word will also perform that word for us. We won't live thinking he can, he could, or he has, but that he will. Because he said he watches over his word to perform it. And the word that he spoke out of his mouth, if that word is in your heart, that's the word that God said he will watch over to perform. But a lot of people, I know, a lot of people have just had a real struggle with this. Maybe some of you have. Maybe you've had a struggle with it for years. Nobody knows it because it's never been a big deal. But there's been a lot of times in your life when you just feel like it's not working for you. I don't know what else to do. It hadn't turned out well for me in my life. I don't have the testimony that some people have. You know, I believe God and this happened. I believe God and that happened. It, I can't say to a lot of people that uh, I have a living testimony that what I have asked God for, God has done. I wish I did. I want that to be because God did say, he that comes to me must not only believe that I am, but that I am a rewarder of those who diligently seek me. And so therefore, when I hear the message of faith, I get condemned. Because, you know, you talk about healing and I'm going through a physical thing and I'm sick and I don't feel good. Or you talk about being out of debt and I'm broken in debt. I just get condemned when I hear that message. You shouldn't be condemned. Now, convicted is a better word. But not condemned. God doesn't condemn any of us. He may condemn our sin and our lifestyle. But he didn't call you to be his child so he could just condemn you all the time. But he means to change you because he that started a good work in you is going to complete it. And he's not going to leave you alone. He's going to hammer this word at you because his word is like a hammer. And his word is like fire. And his word is like a sword. It's all of that. It's intended to be like that. And we're the ones, the only ones that that word is for. So it's going to do that to us too. We're not going to live a complacent life as Christians because God's going to be dealing with something all the time. And if you don't have faith, you won't line up with it. Or if you set it aside and say, well, I don't think I'm ready for that yet. I don't see that that's a big deal yet. And you set that aside, then it won't work for you. See, there's only one way that I found. There's only one way in the Bible that makes the word of God work for you. And that's faith. If you don't believe it, if you simply mentally agree with it, if you say, as most Christians do, oh, yeah, I believe the Bible, that means I agree with what I heard the Bible says. I agree with the statements that have been read or spoken in the Bible. I mentally agree with that. I do believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. I believe Jesus lived here, and I believe that he did miracles. I believe he walked on the water. I believe he turned the water into wine. I believe he was virgin born. I believe the Bible is inspired. I believe all of that. Anybody can say that. Anybody can talk like that. You can memorize these things and say that, can't you? But it doesn't mean because you say it, it doesn't mean you believe it. Obviously, you want to. We all do. 
I think a lot of people have come to the conclusion that if I just say something, then I'll believe it. You cannot come to the place of believing something by simply repeating it. That's some kind of mental gymnastics. You say it because you believe it. But if you say it because you're trying to believe it, it doesn't work like that. In other words, people really want to believe. They really want to believe. All of us in this room do. We all want to be guilty of believing. If the high courts of heaven said, I accuse you of being a believer, may there be enough evidence to substantiate that. Because that's the one thing that God wants to say to all of us when it's over. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And we want to be faithful on God's terms, not the church doctrines terms or the man-made doctrines. We want it to be because we're doing it God's way. But you remember Romans 1.17, God said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for a very limited group of people. And you know it and I know it. It is the power of God for those who believe, not for those who mentally agree, not for those who say, that's what's true. If God said it, that's what the Bible says. There's more to it than that. But the gospel that produces salvation must be believed. Are you with me? I know you are. But you must believe or nothing that was said will come to pass. You got to believe it. What things soever you desire, when you pray, remember Mark eleven twenty four. What things soever you desire, we all have a desire. All of us do. There's things in this room, everybody has a need of some spiritual degree. All of us. And the source for getting that need met is God. But these are his conditions. He said, what things soever you desire, when you pray, inquire, entreat, or ask. When you pray, believe that you have received and you shall have it. Those are the conditions. When you pray, believe you have it. And we say, because we dwell on the negative and the natural more than we do the spiritual, we as church folks say, well, how can I believe I have something when I can't see it? Well, if you could see it, you wouldn't have to believe it, would you? Would you have to believe your needs were met if you had a pile of money there that met all your needs? Would you have to believe your needs were met? Well, no, you can see it. Well, I can't say I'm healed if I'm not. Well, now the Bible says you are. The Bible says you are. You say you're not. Now, one of you two are lying, and God's word cannot lie. So we are taking the sense realm as true and not spiritual realm. But we say we believe the Bible, but we don't believe. We want to believe. We just don't know how or we haven't listened or we got frustrated or we've given up or we backed off or we're counting it not as important as it used to be or something. But it is important. It always has been. It always will be. What God says, he wants us to believe because unless we do, nothing's going to happen. Paul said to the Thessalonians, he said, you know, I praise God that when you receive the word from us, you receive it for what it is, not the word of a man, but the word of God which effectually worketh in those who believe. Maybe the reason a lot of Christian folks aren't really growing or thriving spiritually is because they're not believing. They're mentally agreeing, but they're not believing. I'll get to what I mean in just a minute. But there's more to it than that. Now, I want to share with you tonight on this subject of I want to believe 
three points, three things that will show you how to believe, how true belief, true faith comes. One, tonight, is influence. Influence. There must be divine influence. No man can believe apart from God initiating the whole process. You have to be influenced. Now, would you turn to the book of Luke? Because there's two things here that I want to deal with first. Luke chapter 6, the end of that chapter. Luke 6 and verse 47. These words, I'm sure, are familiar to all of you. Verse 46 and 7. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Does your Bible say that? Now, again, I'm not here to condemn, just to point out something. How many people, how many people read that and get bothered by it? Now, I have been bothered by it because something inside of me, which I'll get to in my next point, something inside of me confirms the truth of the word, and it also telegraphs back to me, you're not doing that. And that brings me into a place of guilt. Now, we call it condemnation. But conviction is also a good word because the purpose of it is to repent and get restored and made right. Unless I have that, I can't do right. I can only think I'm right, but I can't do right. I can't be right doing something over here that God says I shouldn't be doing. But if I don't know what I should be doing, then the only thing I have to go by in my heart is what I think about something which is what most people do anyway about Christianity. Well, this is how I see it, they say. Well, this is what I think. Well, this is how I think it ought to be. Well, what does the Bible say? Oh, I don't know. It's too hard to read. I can't understand all that King James stuff. But anyway, in verse 46, he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? Then verse 47 Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. And then he describes a man who built his house, dug deep, laid his foundation on a rock, and it withstood all the pressure that came against it, and it didn't fall. The next house is built on the sand, and it fell. You know the story. But notice in verse 47, two things. One is he that cometh to me. That's not coming to some church system. I was in the Christian church. Getting right with God doesn't mean going to church and trying to find something in the church so I can say I belong to church, I've joined a church, I'm a church man or I'm a Baptist or a Methodist or whatever, Catholic. None of those things can save you. You know that. What do you say in Romans 1 again? I am not ashamed of the gospel for the gospel is the power, the dynamite of God unto. It produces this. The gospel brings this to those who believe it. Not who say they believe it, but those who believe it. You can't believe until, first of all, you're influenced to believe. There's this divine stirring, this divine input. That time in your life, if it's happened, the time in your life when you used to not care so much about what you really believed or anything. You know, you're a member of a church, and that's good, that's fine. But there came a time in your life when something different happened. God got a hold of your attention that one day or one night or one moment, morning, sometime when you were, boy, you couldn't get away from it. 
But Jesus said, you gotta come to me. You come to Christ. Remember the song, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ. You come to a person. You don't come to a system. You don't come to the creeds of a church. You come to somebody. You come to Jesus. And if you want faith in God, you have to go to the author and the perfecter or the finisher of your faith, and that's Jesus. Faith is a gift. It's a work. It's a fruit. It's a lot of things. But it comes from one source. It comes from Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And if you have it, you got it from him. You didn't get it from a system. You can't say, well, I've been the Baptist faith, the Methodist faith. No, there's only one faith. There is one Lord, one faith, one God, and so forth. And the one faith comes from Christ. And it's not an uncertain faith. It doesn't jump here and jump there. It doesn't rise and fall. It is level. It stays the same. It's always connected to God. As you know well that when you have faith, it means that you, with an act of your will, you take God at his word. That's all you can do. You can't make it true by believing because it's true whether you believe it or not. It's the one thing that God holds before you that alone can make you a believer. Now you join a church and you say, well, I go to church. Don't people say this? The average good person, you ask them if they're saved and they say, well, I go to church. I read my Bible or I pray. I've been baptized in water. I donate or help or give money and, and whatever they do that is sufficient for to be saved. But the one thing and the one thing only that can save anybody in this room is Jesus. And outside of him, there is no connection with salvation. Goodness is determined by what men think of men. Man prides himself in his own goodness. Look what I do. Look what I've done. And a lot of people do a lot of good things. But doing things can't get you in heaven. Only Christ. Only Jesus. I guess one of the disappointments in my trip to Israel last year was that all these people, hardworking, industrious, intelligent people, but with no Messiah, no Savior, had no priesthood, had no temple, no sacrifice, even on their standards of the Old Testament, they can't be saved. There's no way for their sins to be forgiven. And yet, it's no big deal. No wonder Jesus wept outside of Jerusalem somewhere. We might have been there, I don't know, some place that he wept and said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Everybody I've sent to you, you've stoned them. You've turned away from me. I would have gathered you together like a mother hen does her chicks, but you wouldn't have anything to do with me. I don't know that we're that far away from the similar things today. That is, we hear what he has said, but most people really don't want to do that. You know, why do you call me the Lord, Lord, do not the things I say? We just sort of pass that off, but it's still true today. People are not much more interested today in doing what he said than they were then. 
I mean, we still hear what he says, but we go our own way because the second thing in Luke chapter 6 there is it comes to me and hears my sayings. Hear what Jesus has to say. His word, whatever he said, that's what we want to hear. It's not some kind of a program. It's not some kind of a whatever, but he said, heareth my sayings. It's interesting, the Greek word for heareth, a very common word in the New Testament, akuo. And it's a word akin to obey. The picture of the word is, akuo means to hear with the intention of doing. Like you listen and I'm listening so I know what to do. I want to get this. This is important. Now, you contrast that with the many times, maybe before you came to the Lord, where you sat in church because you were supposed to be there. You were socially proper. You did the right thing. You were a good person. You belonged to church. That's always good. You know, they go to such and such a church. Everybody that dies belongs to some church. You read in the paper. And I guess that's all some people want. There comes a time when you weren't really interested in doing anything. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dull of hearing. You had no keen interest. You gave heed to little that God ever said. And yet there was that one day in which that note struck a chord in your heart. And you listened. And the more you listen, the more you begin to realize the kind of person you are in the sight of God, in the light of God. It was June 30th for me, 1960-something. What year was it? 68, that's right. That as a young man to Christian church, local teacher and all of that kind of stuff, sitting there for one more service. And that morning, though, it was different. Like different than any other morning in my life. Suddenly, everything became personal. Not condemnation, but everything was directed to me. Everything said was said to me. And it was just people testifying. It wasn't even a sermon. But people began to testify. And they were telling what the Lord had done in their life. But while they were saying that, I was realizing that none of that's ever happened in my life. And I've been to church as much as they have. I had no interest in what they were talking about. And they were glowing with joy. And I'd be totally embarrassed to talk like that. I'm not sure I could have said the things that they said. And I've been in church as long as they have. I've been baptized in the church. I mean, I was sprinkled on as a Catholic and dunked once at least twice in a Christian church. And I sit back there and listen to these people talk. And while they didn't say what I'm thinking, the thoughts in my heart were, you know, you're a lost man. Nothing you've ever done can save you. Nothing you've ever done can make you right and nothing you can do can make you right. Then they quote the Bible and the word just suddenly became like a piercing sword. But it has to be because it goes in like something that separates within you what is flesh and what is spirit so that you can see the distinction in your life that there is deadness in your life and you're honoring deadness with the way you live and there's no life. There's nothing here that honors God. There's not even a place for God in your life. Just a mental thought, a mental agreement with the whole setup of church. (laughs) And you sit there just as I am, was it verse 2, and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come. I'll never forget that. But that was the most 
important. That was a turning point in my life because that was the day I made that decision. I heard the word. The influence of God on my heart was such that I saw my need. And by the grace of God, my feet got to moving. And I went out in the aisle and I went forward. I could believe what I was doing, but it, I remember thinking, oh, I can't go forward. What if I fail? I grew up in this town. Everybody knows the kind of person I am. I've coached basketball this last year, and I did everything I could to be vile. And they, they, everybody knows how vile I am, how I talk and how I act. And here I am sitting in church, and if I go forward and this really happens to me, and if it's not going to happen, I don't want to be a hypocrite. My mind's racing fast. Oh, Lord, I, 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 I want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. I want, just as, oh, you're killing me, Lord. You go up there and you give up your ways. You cast your will over to his will and he takes over. Because that's what the pastor said. If you'll take the first step, God will be with you all the rest of your steps. It doesn't make you a bore. You don't now that you get saved and you don't laugh anymore and you can't smile. Because I'm holy now. Don't touch me. I'm holy. I don't laugh anymore. Nothing's funny anymore. Everything's sober. I hope that's not the way it is, because if it is, I've messed up a lot. <laughs> the word fun is not in the Bible, but I've had more fun than you could allow. You could shake a stick, as we used to say. I testified in a school where I coached basketball up in Raceland, Kentucky. I had a new principal there, and after it was over, I spoke to the school, came out in the gymnasium. I talked to him. I'd been there three years before coaching. And the principal said, you know, Appreciate your comments today, uh, Coach. Still call me Coach. What are you going to do if all of this isn't true? I said, if it's not true, man, I'm living a good life. I couldn't work any better. For me, I'm happy and I'm at peace. I love people. I love my wife. Every day is a new day. <laughs> I'm happy as I can be. Well, that's good, he said. I said, what are you going to do if it is true? This is when the divine moment kicks in. Because <laughs> he said to me, he said, you know, I never thought of that. He said, that's a gut buster. I think it's worse than that. It's worse than that. But this is how it all begins. We're talking about faith. He comes to me, hears my sayings. And this is when God begins to direct his attention towards you. We call this illumination or revelation. God's revelation comes to man, and when it comes to a man's heart and his eyes are open, we call it illumination. You know, revelation that comes from God causes man to write down on a piece of paper what God said. For all scriptures given by inspiration from God, and then man writes it down, and it becomes revelation, and when the ink on that paper becomes real to your heart. We call it illumination when your eyes are opened. Folks, only God can open our eyes. I sat in church my whole life and heard stuff and never listened. One day it came and like I'd ding. Why does it work like that? The guys I was sitting around didn't. I was at a meeting over in Indiana last night, a school where I went to high school. They had a dedication to the gym and all of that. And all my old teammates from Last century, we're going to be there. And uh, they wanted us to be there for the dedication. Our coach was there. My high school coach was a brother to the coach in the movie Hoosiers. Remember that movie Hoosiers? Well, his brother was my coach's brother, whatever that means. 
So we were over there and I met all my old friends. I hadn't seen some of them in 50 years. I remember the first thought was, man, they look old. <laughs> you see, I haven't aged any, but anyway. But then they got to talking and I thought, you know what? They haven't changed a bit. I had to almost put stoppers in my ears just in a matter of conversation. It was this word and that word. And I kept thinking, man, I'm not around anybody at any time, anywhere that talks like this. And it bothered me. You know, just, well, how in the blank are you doing? And I said, oh. So at halftime, I caught a hat, <laughs> which means I came home. But I was telling her, I said, you know what? Had it not been for the grace of God, that's where I'd still be. And I'd be like that when I die, and I'd be like that at judgment. No different than ever was. The same nature I was born with never got changed, and I lived that way my whole life, thinking I'm having a good time, and never thinking about, there's a day of death that's coming. What are you going to do then? What are you going to do when you die? Oh, I don't like to talk about that. Nobody does, but you can't escape it. What will you say to God then after you wasted your whole stinking life on doing what you want to do? And he was in none of your thoughts. But back to my point, we can't do anything else but sin. Until God gives a revelation to us of our sinfulness and we see ourselves as we are in his sight, only God can do this. Only God can show us the nature of our life and he's the only one that can do it. And when he does that, it's designed to turn us around. He opens our eyes. He makes us see things the way we're supposed to. This is what stirs us up. This is why some of you, if I can say it like this, some of you that are maturing now, when you were kids, you'd sit in here and you'd fiddle and fool and write notes and not pay attention. And one day you started paying attention. Why? Because there's a day coming, the grace of God that brings salvation appears to all of us. And it teaches us that we have to deny ungodliness and the world's lust and everything. And we must turn around and repent and come to Christ. That revelation is given. I don't know what everybody does with it, but it is given. A second thing, God not only influences us and illumines us and stirs us up, but we also have conviction. What is a conviction? Everybody has them to some degree. Some have very little. But a conviction is a compelling admission of something that is to you true or it's a strong persuasion or belief. I like to think that in its highest form, Christian conviction is a belief that cannot change. That is, God has said something, you lay hold of it, and there's no alternative. Are you with me? There's no substitute for walking with the Lord. Well, you may walk with the Lord. Remember James chapter 2? Well, you may have all your faith stuff, but look at what we're doing here. We're building this thing bigger. We're trying to get people to come in. We're making it. We're sacrificing. That's all good, but there's no substitute for faith. And yet, as we get to at the end, faith without works is dead. But you can't work your way in and say, well, I'm doing a lot of this stuff that will replace faith in my life. It never will. Faith is a conviction. 
It's this revelation that God gives to your heart and he shows you things that are right and he begins to deal with you about living right. You see, if you don't have convictions, if there's no line drawn in your life and something inside you that says, I cannot cross that line, woe is me if I do. I cannot talk like that. I cannot go to those places. And yes, you'll become again. And I cannot wear stuff like that because of the influence and the wrong signal it sends to other people. The reason I can't is because God's word has infiltrated my life and replaced something in here that used to have no convictions about anything. I could dress any way I want to, talk any way I want to, act any way I want to, disregard people's feelings, didn't have to be nice or kind. And then God comes into my life and saves me. And now I'm bothered about everything that I used to do that was wrong. And no longer can I do that stuff. That's conviction. You can't sign petitions. I don't do the Santa Claus's lap anymore. I quit sitting in his lap. You know why? Because he wasn't really real. Well, you know what? I'll guarantee you one day when I was seven years old, I was in Kaufman's store in Louisville. I still got the record and I sang White Christmas sitting on Santa Claus's lap. And I still remember looking up at him and seeing that mask or the, you know, the little thing on there that holds his beard in place and thinking, that's not real. But it's got to be real at Santa. No, it ain't. It's not real. I could yank that thing and come off. <laughs> then up the street at Stewart's, another place, there was another one. But it wasn't the same one. If I could have gotten back far enough, I could have seen them both. And know there's something wrong here because I'm not wide-eyed or nothing. And so this conviction came into my life, if you can call it that. I'm convicted of the fact that there's falsehood here. <laughs> that something here really is a myth that is made over into a fun time in the world. I call it fun. People do. It's chestnuts, roasting, you know, and all of that. That's okay. People like to do that. Fine, do it. That's all right. But if I have no convictions, I'm a liberal. Because nothing is certain, nothing is steadfast. I'm free to go this way or this way or that way. I'm not steadfast about anything. I'm probably indifferent to a lot of right things. It's very convenient to be liberal when a choice will get you persecuted. And say, well, you know, that's good for those who want to do that. But, you know, I don't know if I... It's good to have no convictions about things that are controversial. When you're in a crowd that's not a convenient place to be, like talking about abortion maybe or something, you're in a, the wrong crowd, it's convenient to say, well, you know, I think that it's just a matter of choice. Because, you know, if, if you say what your heart tells you to say, you know what's going to happen to you. And most people will give up most any conviction to avoid persecution. There's just this lack of courage to be honest. And yet that's part of the test in life that we as Christians are going to face. So, you know, will you do that or not? This conviction thing is a convincing that compels me. Let me bring the word conscience into all of this. My conscience. A man's conscience is that inward subjective part of a man which declares the lawfulness of his actions, whether they are right or wrong. Your conscience doesn't make law. Your conscience is like a little courtroom inside of everybody. 
Inside of us, there's this little courtroom. There's a little lawyer and a little judge in there. And there on the inside of you, you realize that the judge in the courtroom, he doesn't make the law. He has nothing to do with making the law. He simply applies the law. Now, no man's conscience is right until it's illumined. Until I get enlightened as to what is right and wrong, I am subject to a conscience that is flawed. I still go by it. Some people have a conscience. They have little con- It can hurt people, maim people, lie, cheat, steal. Even Christians can, or oh, the boss isn't here. When the boss is sitting there, they'll lie because, well, it was, it was his idea. But you lied. Well, I know, but they have no conscience. They're not convicted about honesty and truth. Everything has an excuse for why you don't do things. It's all because of a person who lacks convictions, which his conscience gives him to make. See, when you teach me the truth, when you explain something out of the Bible to me, and you show me what I should do and how I should live, and I'm under that akuo thing again. I'm listing with the idea, I need to get this. Man, this is important. I've been so foolish about this. Say it again. Say it slow. Because faith does come. Does it still come by hearing? Is that still in the Bible? Good. Faith comes by hearing. So I want to hear this. And so you listen, and you begin to listen, and you listen some more. And that word falls into your heart. And it becomes, and this is not the right word, but it becomes the law of life for you. It becomes the way you live. Now, if this in your heart is confirmed by the word, you say, here's what the Bible says, and this is what is in your heart, it becomes a law. Now, when you break that, when you violate your conscience, again, to use the most common one, you're driving 60 miles an hour, you're pulled over, And the officer says, how fast were you going? And your carnal mind says, 50-something. What does your heart say? Your heart says 60, doesn't it? Your conscience never lies to you. Your conscience is like a mirror. What you see is what you get. When you've got the word of God in your heart and it said this is the way walking in it and you've seen it and you've secured it and said, okay, I received it. Thank you, Father, I receive it in Jesus' name. And you put this word in your heart, I believe this, I've studied this, I've come to this conclusion that God is altogether right and so forth. And your conscience is living in there as a monitor of all your actions and all your thoughts and all your deeds. You look at a woman, if you're a man, and you think the wrong kind of a thought about her, your conscience pops into play immediately. You know why it does? There was a time you could do that. It didn't bother you. But since God's light has been coming in and you've been illumined and you're seeing things now in a different light, that becomes the way you got to live. Because he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it becomes a sin. It's not right, in other words. You can't do that anymore. You can't justify that. There's no excuse. Well, she shouldn't have been dressed. Well, you shouldn't look. I don't care how she dressed. There's a higher rule of life in your life. There's something now that should compel you to turn your head. Are we in here? There should be something in there that as a monitor of everything you're thinking, everything you're saying, everything you're doing, it declares the lawfulness of your actions, whether they're right or wrong. That's why you teach. You teach the word. 
because this is how a clear and a good conscience is formed. If you're a Christian, you say, you call yourself a Christian, but you keep making excuses for why you're not doing right or why you're not even trying, there comes a time you can sear that conscience. You can even defile that conscience, but you can never escape it. It lives in there, and it's the one that declares whether you are right or whether you're wrong. The judge in a court of law doesn't make law. Your conscience doesn't make law. It simply applies it. Now, you live your life, and you make your decisions, and your conscience is going to tell you right away if you're right or wrong. So you go to the court of law. The judge said, how fast were you going? 50, 58. And your heart says, you're a liar. Would your heart speak that plain? Or would your heart be politically correct? <laughs> Thou art not exactly being honest with this man. No. Your heart says you're a liar. You've just condemned yourself. Because you knew better than that. But instead, to spare yourself, you violated your conscience. As a Christian. Oh, you say, that's too high a standard. We're all supposed to live on this standard. Because without good convictions... What's your faith based on? I have a conviction about trusting in God to take care of me or to supply my need. It's a conviction. It's been a conviction since 1960. That's 42 years. It's a conviction. I'm not trying to do this because it would be a nice thing to do so I can impress you folks and maybe you will really think well of me. That has nothing to do with it. It's a conviction. It is a way that God has given me to live, and it must be so. Now, the problem that people have with convictions is that they listen to somebody that they have a lot of confidence in, have a lot of security in, and they try to believe something is right because somebody told them it was right. Well, brother so-and-so said we're not supposed to do this, or we shouldn't have to do that, or we shouldn't wear this, or carry one of them on our, you know, and therefore we got to do that. Wait a minute. Another man's conscience doesn't dictate my faith. Now, there are some people who would not pump their own gasoline, some who would not use a credit card on Sunday or would shop on Sunday because to them that's just not right. It's the Lord's day, and we wouldn't do that. Well, we're not under law. We're under grace. So there are those who believe you can, Romans 14, and those who say you shouldn't. Every man's got to be convinced in his own heart. There's got to be such a lifestyle that you're free to live. As Paul said, I've lived with a good conscience ever since the Lord saved me. I've tried to do right. I've tried to say right and keep my heart right. And I have not violated that. But my conscience, my convictions are not based on what a preacher told me. Because I'll tell you, don't believe a word I tell you. I'm not anybody's conscience. If it's not in the word, forget it. If it is in the word, it's between you and God. That's who you have to answer to. It's not me. I think years ago, people tried to base their faith on what another man said or what another man did. And today, where would you find 50 of them? When you come to Christ and he's the author of your faith, he's the one you follow. Jesus. He's the one whose faith is given to you. It is to Jesus Christ that you come and to whom you go and who you answer to. 
And if I do what I do because Christ said so, fine. But I'm not going to throw away my glasses and cancel my insurance or throw away my pills because somebody else did. If I can't see that clearly, if that's not a clear revelation in my heart, I'm not going to do that. And you can say amen. But if I see it for myself, that's what I am compelled to do. Whether anybody else does it, well, put your glasses back on. I can't. Well, why don't you just take one aspirin? Because God has told me that he will heal my body. Oh, that kind of stuff scares me. It shouldn't scare anybody because you're not going to do it because somebody else did it. It's got to be your own personal conviction. And you're not free to have any conviction you want because the thing we're free to do is to come and learn and listen and to receive from what the Lord has to say to us and then base our convictions on that and not our opinion about things. We have too many people in the church that think it's all right to do whatever you please because I'm just not into that stuff. We're all into the word. This is the only thing that God has given us to base our faith on. He says faith comes how? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Well, I don't believe people should go to doctors. That's your conviction. Then don't. I don't believe people should get their teeth pulled. Well, then don't. Wow, but some do. That's their business. That doesn't mean that it's all right to do any of those things, but you can't expect me to do what somebody else did because somebody else did it. Well, they're all having their babies at home now. Well, that doesn't mean it's a rule of life that you have to. Well, if I don't, somebody will say something. Well, then there's a problem in the unit and in the whole system. It's got to be a conviction. And when it's a conviction, I don't care if anybody else follows or not. I think Bonnie and I, through the years, our convictions have caused people to kind of go, whew, get away from them people. Like, you know, we're strange, weird people because we don't do the things that most people do. We can't do that anymore. We don't do those things. We don't go there anymore. Put your finger in Luke because I'm coming right back to chapter 6 and look over in chapter 14. Luke chapter 14 and verse 28. Now this is just a spiritual matter here about being a disciple, being a true follower of Jesus. Notice verse 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father, mother, wife, children, brethren, sisters, yea, in his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, before you start throwing away all your drugs and all your insurance and your glasses and all this, and before you start doing all that stuff, you got to read the next verse. Verse 28 says, For which of you intend to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost? It's like you asking yourself, is this really a belief you have in your heart? And say, well, you know, I don't know. Well, then, how long have you been hearing about this? Well, 30 years. It should be a belief. If it hadn't happened in 30 years, I am almost sure that there's not much more I can ever say. If a man had 30 years to think about something, he should have already found out what he believes. Amen anyway. But you may truly be wrestling with something tonight. Maybe it is several years later. and You're just now coming to grips with, I have got to do something about this. I can't go to bed every night knowing that, man, I am just unwilling. I'm just unwilling to live 
according to what he said. I'm afraid it won't work. I'm afraid I'll die. I'm afraid I'll lose. I'm afraid I'll be persecuted. I'm afraid that a lot of things will happen to me. And, and it just scares me to think that I don't, I just, well, at least that's an honest statement. It's an honest fear. You know, he can deliver you from all your fears. You know that? And it all comes only one way. You got to go back to this. Teach me thy ways, O Lord. The psalmist said, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from thy law. Jesus said, I thank you, Father, that you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent and you revealed them to babes. There's a few that actually see all of this and that's where faith begins. But that word that you heard has to now settle into your heart until you're convinced. Paul said, I am persuaded. Remember that? I am persuaded. I am absolutely sure that what God said, he will do it. I know he could. I mean, there's no problem saying that he could and he has, but will he do it for me? Yes, God is a healer. Yes, 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 yes. Do I believe that he will heal me simply because I believe him? Do I believe that? Or should I do something else? You need to count the cost. When one of my children fell out and knocked the teeth out many, many years ago, one of the first things I asked myself when I looked at those teeth and I thought, oh my goodness. You know, I was in my own house. The crowd was gone. There was nobody to impress. It was just the Lord, me, and my wife, and a crying child. I asked myself the question, do I believe that God can fix and restore her teeth in her mouth and a big cut on her chin? Do I believe this, or should I take her down and get all this worked on? But before I jump up and panic, say, oh, my, I open the Bible, read in this book. I read Mark eleven twenty four. I read it slow because I usually read things slow because I like to read every word. What things soever you desire when you pray, believe. Believe you have received your answer. Therefore, you're not trying to get it anymore because you believe you've got it. And you shall have it. And I read it again. And I turned to body and I said, do you believe? You believe God can fix all of this? She said, yes. So I've turned over to Matthew 18. If any two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done. Now that's what Jesus said. If any two of you can agree together as touching anything, it'll be done. I brought my Bible over, laid it on her lap. She's holding my little girl. I said, put your finger on this and let's agree together. She put her finger on it. I said, we agree together in Jesus' name. For the restoration of this child's mouth, teeth, this cut, and any other damage, it was done. And even though I'm thinking this is going to cost you something, people are really going to label you as a whatever. I'm going to trust the Lord in spite of it. Had a big trip coming up down to Hopkinsville to a doctor. Dr. Amos invited me to come down there and speak, and here comes this child with all of this stuff. Of course, he looks at her when he sees her. He said, hey, Judy. What happened to her? We told him, he just said, oh, praise the Lord. 
It was a day or two after that, they were fixed. They just went popped back in, something like that, eating corn on the cob. And Bonnie can probably give you all the details. I just like the big parts. <laughs> you know what I attribute that to? God is faithful. He watches over this word to perform it. But the reason we got into this and took such drastic measures and such extreme, as they say, such extreme measures is because we were convicted about whom to trust. I didn't know anybody else that did that. No, there were others that did that, but I didn't know anybody else. Nobody around me would have done that that I knew of. But I didn't base what I'm going to do because somebody else did it. I'm going to do it because I believe it. And finally, if you go back to Luke chapter 6 again, we will close. Luke chapter 6 and verse 47 again, he said, Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings, and what's that word? Doeth them. Doeth them is number three is response. A response. God must speak to you. You must receive it as a conviction. And it's never faith. It's never biblical faith until you do it. If there's no action, there's no faith. Faith is an act. Faith is something you do. Faith is not just a noun and believe is just a verb. It's not just a word in the Bible. Faith and believe refer to the same thing, obviously. If a man believes that something is true, you will know what they believe by what they do. I could say that about everybody in this room, all of us in this room. That what we do, the choices we're making, is what we believe. The choices you made this week, today, yesterday, last week, that's what you believe. I'm not saying anybody was in an extreme moment or anything. I'm just saying that what we do is what we believe. A lot of things people can't see us when we're alone, but that's what we believe. We believe it's all right. That's where your faith is. I don't know where your convictions are. That's what you do. Everything you do is an act of faith. Faith is an act. When you have faith in the doctors, what do you do? You go to the doctor. What does the doctor tell you to do if he gives you a prescription? Doesn't he sign a little piece of paper and put some kind of a compound name on there and, and give it to you? What do you do? Showing you how you respond to what you believe. What do you do? You take it to where? You don't take it to a hardware store. What do you do with this piece of paper? You take it to a drugstore. Why? Because that's where drugs are. So you take it to the drugstore and you give it to the pharmacist. You don't know him. It's a big city. You don't know anybody. It's not like he's a friend you're comfortable with. You took it to a total stranger. Another stranger wrote down stuff on a piece of paper that only experts can figure out what that is. And you give that paper to a total stranger because you believe. And he disappears in aisles of stuff. And you hear a bottle shaking or some kind of thing. Poured, and he types something up and puts a label on a thing and hands it to you. And on that bottle are the instructions. Do this and you shall be well. Now this book says do this and you shall live. But ah, we don't have faith in that. We have faith in the world. We can't walk by faith. We got to walk by sight. We got to see it or feel it. 
When my mom was dying, I had to go to the drugstore and get her stuff for her pain medicine. She only had about a week to live. And I couldn't believe, because I hadn't done it in 50 years. I couldn't believe how much that stuff cost. Walk out of there, people do, and they got that bottle. They go home. They set their alarm clock. They believe it. Have faith. Faith is a choice in what you are counting on, and people count on that. And you preach the word of God to them, ah, now, brother, ah, now, preacher. And yet, a doctor can say to a lady, all right, would you take your clothes off, please? Here they go. Why? Because he's a doctor. He's not God, except people make him God. But you read this, and you think, well, now, you know, I don't know. I don't want to get to was. Uh, you don't even try to sing or talk. Uh, uh, yet a total stranger can tell you, you need to move to Arizona. You sell everything you got and move. Because of faith. It's what you believe. It's how you believe. It's a choice you make counting on something that's in your heart as a way of life. God simply wants to rearrange what you're convinced of, but you have the same action. There's no difference between doubt and faith. They both are an act of a man's will. The only difference between the two is the direction in which you channel true faith and the direction in which you channel unbelief. When you're counting on the world instead of God, they call it unbelief because you're saying, I don't believe God will do this. Or somebody said, well, you know, God could, but he may not want to. But it never occurred to you to think, well, if he doesn't want to, why am I trying to get well? Have you ever heard that? Well, God may not want to heal you. Then why am I buying this medicine in? Why in the world would I try to improve my condition if you're telling me God may not want me to be well? It doesn't make any sense. But anyway, back to this. Faith is simply this. Faith is you counting on God to do what he said. You come to this because God spoke to you. You wrestled with it, and you made a decision because faith is always an act to count on God. Not many will, but you can. The choice is yours. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. Your word is true. May this truth lodge itself in our hearts May this truth grow. May we stand firm and steadfast in this crazy world, being found doers of the word and not just hearers only. Give us clear and keen minds to discern what we're hearing. Let nobody believe anything I've said because I've said it. Lord, give them minds to search the scriptures to see if these things are so. I want to thank you in Jesus' name for your word, for watching over your word to perform it, for helping us to be strong and steadfast and unmovable in this hour. And may this be the testimony of this whole assembly here in this church. I ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen.